Porn Free Radio, episode 74. Hey guys, in episode 70, we did something we never did before on Porn Free Radio. We did a whole show devoted to the experience of wives, girlfriends, and partners of guys who struggle with porn addiction. And it was a really well-downloaded show, and we got lots of great feedback. And on the show, we had therapist Hope Ray come on. If you haven't heard the show, go back and listen to pornfreeradio.com slash 70. It would be helpful to listen to before today's show. Because Hope really digs into not only the partner experience, but also gives a lot of great ideas and and, um, suggestions about how to to do relationships when dealing with porn addiction. And it was really good. And so we asked Hope to come back and answer some questions uh, from the Porn Free Radio audience. Again, I said this at the beginning of episode 70. Uh, you know, if you're a single guy or if you're not in a relationship right now, you might be thinking, what, how does this help me? How does this, do I need to just skip this episode? And the answer is no, because a lot of guys out there who are single want to be in a relationship, or even if you were in a relationship and you're divorced and, and you've kind of sworn off relationships for now, just listen to uh, Hope and some of the things she talks about and the empathy that she has for the partners to just get some ideas about what it looks like to do this recovery in relationship. So I'm excited to have her back. Let's get started with the show. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life, free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. All right, well, welcome back to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast for guys who want to live 100% porn free. Man, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited again to welcome back Hope Ray from HopeRayTherapy.com to talk more about the partner experience. Uh, That's the experience of our wives, our girlfriends, Um, our significant others, uh, just in walking through recovery, walking through um, the healing process with us. And it's so cool. It's so cool to to get uh, a different perspective. And I love the empathy that she comes at this topic, both for the partner and uh, the guy who's struggling with porn. Uh, She has a real gift for empathy and a real gift for understanding really appreciate her expertise. And we're going to get to that interview in just a second. But before I go into that, it is summer officially in Chicago where I'm podcasting from. It was about 80 degrees yesterday. The sun's out. It, it We are fully in summer. My kids got out of school on Friday. Today marks the first day that they don't have to go to school. And uh, let me just tell you that they got up this morning, they uh, did all the chores that that were listed on their list, Um, they did some reading, they did some writing, and then they were allowed some screen time. So right now in my house, uh, my oldest son is watching the Golden State Warriors game, which was on tape from last night, and my youngest son is watching a superhero cartoon. So... That's kind of, they, and it's, I don't even think it's 9.30 yet. 
so they've done all their chores and they are uh, watching some summer TV. And then we will be uh, we will not be watching TV all day. We have some stuff planned for today. Anyway, I bring that up. All that add up is summer is here. And I want to ask you a question. It's the same question that my wife asked my sons to write about today in their journals. What do you want to do this summer? And I'm going to make it a little more specific for you. What do you want to do in your recovery this summer? Do you want to move forward? Do you want to to grow? Do you want to uh, start accomplishing more, start being more successful, stop relapsing. What do you want to do in your recovery? Or do you want to just sort of, you know, bide your time this summer, not not make a lot of uh, investment, and just kind of slip back into old patterns? Because there's two, uh, there's two ways you can go here. Either you're getting closer, you're moving towards recovery, or you're moving away from it. And so if you choose to do nothing, you're moving away from it. And so I bring this up because I'm offering sprint coaching for this summer, a special package for summer. It's a three-month package. And if you've thought about coaching, this might be a great time to invest. And you're really investing in yourself. This is about investing in the result that you want. What is the result that you want at the end of this summer? Do you want to go into fall with a plan? Do you want to go into fall with some momentum, some some wins under your belt? Or do you want to limp into fall after having, you know, kind of going sideways over the summer? And spring coaching is a way for me to work with you one-on-one to get your plan in a strong place, to really dig into what's keeping you from being porn free. So if you're interested, go to pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. That's pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. Apply and we can have a quick conversation and I can explain the three-month summer offer that I have. And I would love to work with you. Uh, I mean, I've uh, started some new guys in the last couple of weeks and man, I am looking forward to summer because we're going to dig in and there's a lot of great things that we're going to do together. So pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. So let's get into today's episode with Hope Ray from hoperaytherapy.com. Hey, Hope, welcome back to Porn Free Radio. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be back with you today. Well, in episode 70, Hope Ray joined us. Uh, it's been a very well-downloaded episode. I've gotten emails. I've, people have stopped me in church and said it was a great conversation. Um, I know that a couple of the guys who listen have, have actually uh, sent it to their wives to listen to. Um, so I was just really excited for you to join us and, and come back and answer some questions. And uh, it's just been great feedback. That's great to hear. Well, let's do it again here today. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So um, I want to get into some of the questions that came in, but I wanted to ask you just what are you working on right now? Well, (laughs) oh, it's busy with a lot of writing. And uh, I've even taken a a short sabbatical from working with clients to get as much writing as possible done. Uh, Right now I'm writing a book for partners who've experienced the betrayal of infidelity, 
And uh, it's taking an interesting shape, a little bit different than I earlier anticipated, but I think we're heading in a better route. There's not really much out there uh, that's like this. So I'm going to keep working steady on it and, and also getting back to seeing some clients here pretty soon. Yeah, I I was, uh, you know, just, I, I told you this earlier, but I, I thought I'd just share it as like, I got together for breakfast with this author, Nate Larkin, uh, who wrote a book about seven years ago about his journey out of sex addiction. And I said, hey, when's the next book coming out? And he said, he kind of said, hey, it's not, I, I have some ideas. I haven't done it yet. I go, so what's what? what would you like to write about? And he goes, I'd really like to tell my wife's story. I'd really mm. like to talk about the partner experience. So I think that book is really needed. And I'm sure there's going to be a market for it. I'm sure it's going to be really helpful. And and if you ever have a follow-up specifically for porn addicts uh, wives, <laughs> I think that would be awesome also. Because awesome. just based on some of these questions I'm getting here um, for you, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of people out there starting uh, with this podcast, trying to get answers, trying to understand their partner's struggle or their husband, <clears throat> in this case, their husband or boyfriend's struggle with porn. Absolutely. Well, let's start with uh, letter number one. Uh, now, this uh, comes from someone who wanted to remain anonymous, was concerned that even their name might give them away. Um, so I'll just read the letter. I think I shared this in an earlier episode, but I would love to get your perspective, Hope, on this, this email. Okay? Awesome. Hi, Matt. I discovered your podcast and I'm incredibly grateful for what you're putting out there. I'm not a porn addict, but my longtime partner is. The effects of the porn have filled me with anger and incredible sadness. Unfortunately, he has no idea there's a problem, nor that porn has produced his erectile dysfunction. I see in him all the things you described, numbness, erectile dysfunction, distance, isolation, etc. Here's where I'm stuck. I have no idea how to begin the conversation. He's a, su mm. he's a super successful type A person, and I'm concerned that one, he'll deny it, or two, he'll suggest it's not a problem. Meanwhile, it's tearing me to pieces. Mm. Well, I just... I just wish that I could sit down with that person and many, many other women who can resonate with that position. You know, first, let me commend you, your one. I feel that you've done quite a bit of research out there. Uh, it's it's nice to hear that she seems to have taken a look at, you know, the impact that pornography can have on not only one's sex drive, but also their relational capacity. And certainly she's experiencing on the receiving end some of that toll. So I recognize the pain. I heard you say it's tearing you apart. And I want to say that I hear that often. So I want you to know you wouldn't be alone here. Uh, one of the things that becomes difficult when it comes to starting this conversation is the fear of how they might respond. I think you mentioned that you feel he might deny this situation or, or seem that it's not a problem. And the truth is, I think to give him the opportunity to do both of those would be in your best interest because truly you're understanding this is a problem. Uh, and if you give him the opportunity to represent 
how he frames this issue. Uh, he very well may not be in line with how you're framing the issue. And there could be a, a huge disparity between your two stances, your two approaches to this significant issue in your relationship. But beyond all of that, my main, my main thought for you would be it's important to represent your feelings here. You could frame this less as a confrontation and more so as a time to share your feelings, your broken heart, the idea that this is tearing you up inside. See, it seems to me that you're not comfortable having this um, pornography use as a part of your contract in your relationship with this person. So it sounds to me like you would like this to be uh, not going on in the relationship and that you have a standard there that you would like to see him protect. That's okay. You can stick to your guns on that. We all have different preferences. And the truth is that you're experiencing a real whammy from his behavior. So it would make sense to me that you want this out of the relationship, this pornography use. So what I think would be important here is to say, you know, my feelings are not only hurt and devastated, but there's a tremendous distrust issue creeping up for me. And at this point, uh, it really seems to me like I I have a, a different set of values when it comes to fidelity. We need to begin talking about this. I insist on it, or else I'm going to be concerned that we aren't well aligned together in our relationship. So my thought for you is frame this less as a confrontation. You're doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. Hey, for all we know, he thinks he should be doing this. And maybe uh, it's just, you know, essentially not going to be a good matchup between the two of you uh, if he's unwilling to take a look at this behavior that's causing you so much pain. Share that pain with him and share it from a perspective of I feel. I think that will be a good way to get the conversation started. Uh, Sometimes you just got to go for it. You can plan out what you want to say. Perhaps you could write a letter to him discussing your feelings, what it feels like when you find this pornography, what it feels like when you are being intimate with him and you wonder what he might be thinking about in his mind or the way in which your body image potentially has been impacted. These are things you could potentially write about in a letter and then Take a, take a time to sit down and read it to him. Maybe even prep him beforehand, letting him know that you have a very serious letter from your heart that you want to read to him and you're requesting a space where he can really listen without distraction. So that would be my first uh, priority uh, if I were in your situation was being able to share my feelings. Boy, Hope, the way you framed that was great. and um, But I, I'm scared. I, I Like... The idea of approaching a partner for the first time yeah. that you suspect or know is doing this and, and how, how hurt, how hard it is. Um, that's even though I, it's something that has to be done. It's, it's still difficult. It's hard. Like You're right. me thinking about so it. If we were to, yeah, let's get real practical there. You know, um, Easier said than done, everything I just mentioned. When your heart is torn to pieces, as this, this caller mentioned, you know, it's not easy to, uh, you know, pull up your bootstraps and go in there marching in with a whole set of feelings and reactions to someone's behavior. And I think the idea is she may very well benefit from also having some support, some support to write this impact letter, some support uh, to help her field her questions to help yeah. her discover what this all means for her and how this all is all impacting her. And so that may be the very first step. 
Uh, and I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Fear here makes a lot of sense. Getting someone else to walk through that process of writing the letter, I think might help um, really get clear about what, what she needs uh, yes. from the husband, what she's asking for. Might yes. help her even think about what she wants from this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, are these two folks married? I didn't catch that part in the letter. I... I'm not sure. I've I've had a couple of correspondence with this uh, with this person, and um, it's not clear. They've been together for a while, though, uh, okay. and I, I think they might um, they might be married. I again, okay. I didn't. She, uh, she didn't want to give any identifying things away. Sure, so, so no I, problem. Um, the reason I ask is because, you know, um, if you're dating someone and, and are fortunate enough to, to learn of any underlying secrets or underlying addictive behaviors before furthering the commitment in marriage or living together or having children together, then the idea is, uh, you know, sometimes you have to look at how well matched you are with that person. If by chance the commitment's already, you know, a done deal, we're married, we have kids, we've been married for a decade, those types of situations aren't as easy to say, well, he wants to look at porn, I don't want him to, so I guess we should just separate. I recognize that's no easy task. Uh, The idea here would be the sooner you can address this, the better, because it will continue to build, the betrayal will continue to mount as it goes undiscussed but deeply felt. And so I think I think getting right in and having some support, uh, echoing what Matt is saying here, is a great place to start. Hey, one other question that came out in this correspondence was she asked about, in terms of trying to get the partner to get help, um, is it okay to use an ultimatum? Mm. Oh. Well... Matt, I want to ask you, what kind of ultimatums have you heard from some of the guys you work with? What do you mean? Well, for instance, I mean, you know, you know, you stop this or you get help or else what? What do you hear most commonly? I, I think in most cases, uh, the guys who, who come to me are already at a place where they know they need help. And so they're doing it to rebuild trust as part, that's part of it. Um, So I haven't heard the, the or else. Um, And, and for me, I I don't, I don't know if that would have worked for me. I mean, I, I remember what I remember in the early days, my wife did ask me to go to a group. um, And I, um, I wanted to go, but what what I really remember was feeling the love from her, feeling acceptance, mm-hmm. and and so I don't remember it ever feeling like an ultimatum. I felt like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Um, I would say that some guys have done coaching because their wives did the research and the and the footwork, and <laughs> and they were like, okay, like, which that's not always the best way to get in, but. Let's let's face it. Sometimes wives are a little more schedule orientated, a little more on the ball in terms of looking for resources and help. So okay. I, I, mm-hmm. I definitely have worked with a couple of guys whose wives have found found me before they did. 
Yep. And I get calls too a lot of times. Uh, I work mostly with partners, but our office, we will get calls a lot of times from the partner who's initiating the treatment because she's done the research. And I think we do that research out of a desperation to, you know, figure this thing out and see if it's fixable. Otherwise, uh, there's a lot of fear and a lot of unknowns until uh, until you can have a plan or a game plan for treatment. So, you know, back to this idea of ultimatums, I don't know that they work either. In fact, what I would suggest is this. A lot of partners will have some trouble at the beginning. They're going to feel like their addict needs to hit rock bottom because this is what we've heard about since, I don't know, forever, that addicts need to hit rock bottom. So many partners will try and instigate that rock bottom or try and create it for the addict. They will make you know, all sorts of unpleasant scenarios or they may manufacture some ultimatums such as if you don't get help, if you don't stop, if you look again, I'm leaving you, or I'm going to file for divorce, or we're going to have a separation, or I'm going to tell your mother, or I'm going to call your workplace, or, you know, all sorts of big or small, there's a whole range of ultimatums. The main problem is that that won't work because a a partner, while she can influence her husband or her her, uh, intimate other, she cannot forge his surrender to recovery. And so it's important for her to understand that that's going to be a futile and frustrating role for her trying to create this rock bottom. Uh, the main the main and most important thing that a partner can do is, like you said, uh, if they're willing to, to support that person to get into some treatment, uh, it's, it's really important that partners don't create threats that they aren't prepared to follow through with. For instance, if you look again, I'm going to leave you. Or if if you masturbate another time, I'm going to leave you. And then, you know, something of that nature, maybe not even the full behavior happens, but something of that nature. And now the partner's in a quandary. Well, he essentially began to masturbate or he kind of looked at porn, but then he stopped. So what does this mean? Do I kind of leave him? Right. It's, a, it's a black and white issue that a, a partner may not really be prepared to follow through with. And so partners can save themselves a lot of crazy making. Uh, they can keep more of their sanity uh, in these very difficult situations by not making threats they can't follow through with or aren't ready to follow through with yet. Now, Should a partner be voiceless? No, she needs to be able to vent her anger. That's most often what is fueling these ultimatums. You know, I'm so angry. I want you to see how serious I am. So I'm going to tell you that if you do this one more time, I don't even care about you anymore. We're done. Your family's poof disappearing because I'm taking them away from you. And that, in most cases, is more of a plea for look at my pain. Do you see the degree to which this is burdening me? Do you see the degree to which this is ravaging my heart, ravaging our life? And so partners often need a lot of support to get into their feelings there. Their feelings are so big and so strong, but often there's an overlay of anger that, you know, causes us to produce these these threats. The other thing is we're hoping that as we threaten it will help the person see the light. But again, we cannot force someone to surrender to their recovery. I love how you started this whole conversation about initiating a conversation where feelings can be talked about. And 
I think the idea of getting together and talking about feelings, about how it's feeling, not so much a, I caught you, this is a confrontation, but no, let's just talk about feelings. I do remember some of the most significant conversations with my wife was me confessing and being able to see and 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 experience her feelings mm-hmm. that was a big um, de- deal for me in helping me it helped me a lot of times steer um, ba- make better choices in the future and it's interesting a lot of times I feel like we maybe partners want to avoid that feel those confrontations I mean I've heard of partners who, want their husbands to go to their support group and not talk to them about stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I've heard of, and I've heard from husbands all the time. And I feel like this is an excuse like, Oh, I couldn't tell my wife it would kill her. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to hide all this stuff. Um, and they, so they don't actually get the benefit of exchanging feelings and talking about feelings and experiencing some of the hurt. Yeah. Um, that they're inflicting. They, it's like they're avoiding the consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's like um, it's like um, you know. I remember I was uh, I shoplifted once as a kid, and uh, for some reason, my mom was worried that I would get in tr- like get in a lot of trouble if I went back to the store and confessed. And mm. so so she went back and took the stuff back for me. But it's mm. like I never got to experience the consequences of what I did. Wow. Um, yep. Right? Like I never took the ownership. So it's like I didn't really feel the pain. You know? Right. So. right. Which is a valuable piece of the journey, you know? And one of the thoughts that I have is that, you know, a lot of folks who don't want to tell their partner, you know, they're worried about their reaction and they're worried about causing them pain. The truth is that's that's the nature of addiction, you know, or compulsive behavior that's kept in secret is that it brings not just yourself down, but it brings others around you down too, those that you're in commitments with. And so, you know, whether it makes you less productive at work and you're not providing as well as you could, whether it uh, steals from your intimate life because now there's fantasy and more of a refractory period for you. And so you can have less intimacy, whether it's sexual or not with your partner. Um, there's, there's, you know, the communication breakdowns that come from all of this. The truth is that there's a lot of primary consequences for partners. And secondarily, then it comes back and ricochets. The partner's pain causes even more pain and more shame for the person struggling. So it's such a ping pong back and forth of of painful scenarios. It makes sense if we use logic that people want to keep this stuff secret, understandable, but there's no healing in that. Right. I totally, I mean, I had a, a really profound experience after a couple years of recovery. Um, I used to have these profound confessions where I would cry and be very sorrowful. And I thought that it was my sorrow over the thing I had done. And mm-hmm. it was partly that, but mm-hmm. there was so much shame that in some ways those confessions 
um, I realized were sh- it was shame coming out. Um, and at some point I realized that this is, it's not just about me being sorry. This is coming from a deeper place of, of internalized shame, but that would have never been exposed if I wasn't putting myself in the place for the stuff to come out. Mm-hmm. Like if I kept, you know, and at some point there was a point where I was confessing to my wife and I realized I felt unlovable. Like I was mm-hmm. asking her, why do you love me? Why do you love me? And I realized at the core, I felt unlovable. But mm-hmm. that was way below the confession and the the feeling sorry. It was like this deeper thing. But it only came out after this open communication where feelings were talked about, um, where where it was obvious that some of the shame I was feeling was was going deeper than just feeling sorry. Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful example, Matt. Well, I'd like to move to another question. This came from a listener named Kimberly. Um, The title was Desperately Trying to Be a Good Wife. Mm. And she wrote, hey, Matt, I'm a secret listener. (laughs) I assume that means that, you know, she's listening to the porn podcast to, to help her husband. I'm a secret listener. Porn is a taboo subject in my marriage. Since my husband's secret came out a year and a half ago, he's so closed off. He admitted it when I asked, um, never had a clue, just a hunch that something was going on. And the subject abruptly closed from his side. He's like a brick wall. I've prayed and cried and begged and prayed and cried and prayed ad nauseum. He's completely closed off. I just want the man I married back. What should, wow. a, what should a spouse do that wants to help but can't because the addicted person refuses to open up? Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Well, Kimberly's situation is very, very, very heart-wrenching. Uh, if I were walking alongside her, the first thing I would want to do is is help hold her heart, help hold her burden there. She's hurting. And agnosium, it sounds like she's prayed and cried and pleaded and begged and, and done whatever she could. And that sense of helplessness that comes from that really does need support. It really does need healing. Because let's just say her husband started acting perfectly open and and working through a recovery with pornography today, today forward. He was great with it. He talked to her when she needed to, answered her questions, stopped looking at porn altogether, got his accountability in place. That wouldn't remove this past, you know, year and a half worth of pain for her. And so it sounds to me like the first thing here is that Kimberly needs to be able to talk about this with someone who can support her. That was what I first felt. Because I would, I would feel the need and the urge to just sit with her, hear her story, and talk with her through these things. So I think her question here is, what can I do to help, right? What can I do to help uh, break down my husband's brick wall? Is that how you're reading it, Matt? That's how I'm reading it, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> you know what? I just don't know. <clears throat> what I do know about brick walls is that it takes some heavy machinery and usually a fleet of people. To break down. And I would suggest this very well could be the same type of thing. Uh, for you to go and hammer away yourself could very well cost you uh, 
some more pain and potentially create uh, further reinforcements on his end because he doesn't like the pecking. I'm not sure what your husband's issue is here, why he's, uh, why he's so uh, closed off from this issue that's obviously important for you to talk about. Uh, the way I frame these types of situations are when, when a breach of the fidelity contract is committed, it, the issue's on the table. And so it doesn't get to not be talked about. Similar to the idea that you mentioned, you know, earlier, Matt, you said, you know, when you stole that candy or whatever, when you were little and, and then out of fear, your mom kept you from having to go back and talk about it. Well, it, it appears you haven't become, you know, a regular thief, <laughs> which is the good news. But the truth is that when scenarios like that play out in our lives over time, we can develop, uh, you know, some really warped ideas, uh, meaning that, you know, it's okay, I can get away with stealing. It's okay, I can get away with this porn. Uh, she just, she she knows not to press me. I don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. It's off the table. The truth is, I think they're dancing around an issue that's very much under the table. And it's like an elephant in the room. It's creating havoc in their marriage, whether they're addressing it head on or not. It's indirectly impacting their situation. And I can't imagine how this would be moving them toward closer intimacy and connection. I have a feeling if we're always in movement, we're always in motion, yeah. uh, that their inertia is heading in a backwards direction because of this elephant in the room. Uh, I think, you know, once in a while when when we're in marriages, we have certain complaints about our partner or about our spouse that we keep hidden. You know, let's say, uh, you know, we feel like our husband or our, our wife isn't, isn't taking as good a care of themselves any longer. And, you know, we're, we're kind of just keeping that in and holding that in out of, out of love and genuine concern to not hurt the person. Uh, but over time, if things got out of hand, we might want to say something for their benefit, for our benefit, and so that our relationship could stay on track with transparency and honesty. An issue like this is not just a simple complaint against your spouse. An issue like pornography uh, can disintegrate the very connection, the very core of the, of the relationship, the foundational issues of trust, partnership, intimacy, uh, honesty, all of those things. So those features need to be up upkept in a relationship. And when an elephant in the room uh, causes a, a deprivation to certain areas of conversation, then we look at a you know a starving core to a relationship and over time that can create tremendous damage to a family yeah and i i just even thinking back to looking back at this letter you know this secret came out a year and a half ago and it sounds like it wasn't even let's say that it was a one-time event or let's say that it was a, a a a pattern of binging that that was hidden for years or whatever mm -hmm. right it's like just acknowledge like it, it doesn't even seem like the um, the trauma of that event was even acknowledged, then alone, whatever's been happening in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. I mean, did the, is it still at the same level? Did anything change? I mean, it's just, so it's like, there's two issues here. How do we deal with what the exposure and the disclosure, as we talked about in episode 70, um, you know, we t there was a disclosure, but then how are we moving forward? And I, right. I think you're right about, you know, if we're in perpetual motion, either moving towards more intimacy or moving away from intimacy, 
mm-hmm. it would seem to me that this type of thing would be leading, you know, causing a division to intimacy. So someone once said, you know, when we bury our feelings, we bury them alive. And the same goes for subject matter. Within a relationship, you bury something that happened, a transgression, a grievance, uh, a complaint, an issue that's come up. And that gets buried, but it doesn't just die. It just is buried alive. And so it creates, you know, a pretty difficult uh, thing within the relationship. So I, I would commend Kimberly here because she sees the issue. And for a year and a half, she, it sounds like, has been pressed to let it go, to downplay it, to not think it's a real serious thing. But she's actually maintained her gut response to it, which is, no, this is serious, and he needs to acknowledge what's going on. We need to talk about it, sort through this, and and see if we can get on top of this issue. And so I commend you, Kimberly, for your dedication to the right thing for you there. Yeah, and I think that that the it's I think her heart is in the right place. I mean, this idea that she wants the man that she married back, it's yes. to his benefit to deal with the shame to deal with whatever the self-care is that he needs um, he's suffering on some level and maybe isn't aware maybe it's too it's too hard to talk about um, but this isn't just sort of like a uh, you know like he's building a boat in his in his in his garage and it's like a hobby this is like a real indication of pain in his life that he's not mm-hmm. dealing with or hurt or whatever. So there's a there's an aspect of him that is suffering, even if he doesn't know it. That's right. That's right. All right, let's let's answer this last question. This comes from Jennifer. Now, Jennifer wrote a couple of emails, but I'm going to just focus on the first one that came in. Uh, My question for hope is this. How do you proceed when your patience is almost gone? You've been forgiving, uh, encouraging for over seven years of marriage, but there's never any true repentance. Mm. Every time we visit this, it's because he got caught. Uh, mm. I sensed his hope said something. I sensed his hope said something was up. I found it on his phone the last time. We have okay. been on this crazy roller coaster our entire marriage. Never once has he admitted that he's messed up. It's always, I find out, ask him, he admits it, and then he's sorry, and I forgive him. But there's never any true repentance. I feel right now that I cannot trust him. He's been in an accountability group for over two years. He's not been forthcoming with them either. I know he can, I know he can be set free, I do not expect perfection, but honesty, true brokenness, godly sorrow, and to see him take the steps to that, to get to the root of the problem and dig it out, not do whatever to band-aid it. This has taken over his relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our sex life, and now it's affecting our kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, You know, Jennifer, your letter is the type that I would like many in our world who don't believe that addiction to pornography can take place. I would like them to read your letter because the the way in which you framed the despair, the the 
despair, the devastation, the toll that this is taking on your relationship, your family, uh, your heart. Uh, that those are the effects that you know someone who's married to somebody who uses drugs experiences as well. Now there's difference between being a partner to a drug addict and being a partner to a sex addict, but the idea of it impacting the whole family system is tried and true and very well represented in your letter. You know, I understand that your patience is gone here. You mentioned that you never feel there's any true turning away from his behavior. And one of the most frustrating parts for you is that the only time you know something's going on is when you can catch him. So when you say you don't trust him, I would agree that makes sense not to, simply because you can only know as much as you can find. And the truth is that in order to rebuild trust, it trust has to be warranted, meaning that uh, this person has to not only be uh, working on rebuilding trust with you, but abstaining from a behavior that continues to break down the trust. Every time you catch him in a lie or catch him in a secret behavior, it sets you back in your trust bank. It brings you below zero and it feels hopeless. And so I can understand what you're talking about. You know, I was speaking with a woman who uh, was engaged to marry someone who had a a terrible drug addiction, uh, but he was in a healthy, solid remission and was working uh, with his his church and and becoming a leader and and doing lots of wonderful things. Uh, It just so happened that as they moved toward marriage, it ended up being that he he flipped, and that flipped turned into a full-blown relapse, stealing money from her, from her family, Uh, using drugs and trying to hide it from her for a period of weeks. This took place until she was able to discover. And so then rehab happened. And rehab, uh, in his case, was very spiritually based. And so it spoke to uh, his particular faith and allowed him to really regroup himself and gain his ground. And for months and months, it was there, eventually became a leader uh, and uh, was working with other addicts in coming into the program while he continued his treatment. And when I talked to this woman, uh, you know, she had paused the marriage plans because of his rehab. And she was pretty much done with the relationship until she started talking to him again. And after months in rehab, you know, he really seemed different. And she discussed the way in which his his spiritual life was shining for the first time. She discussed the way his countenance had changed. She discussed the way he looked even was different, that he was genuine and sincere and that he's been appointed some leadership in this program. And so she was really convinced of the change. And you know what? I was convinced of the change too, but I wasn't convinced that this person would not go back to his addiction. See, because addiction treatment is not about a one-time fix, a one-time repentance, a one-time change, or a seeing the light. Uh, most folks don't have a conversion experience out of addiction. Some do, but most don't. And the truth is that you need to see consistent demonstration of surrender to the recovery. Uh, it doesn't mean that person always wants to choose recovery. It doesn't mean that person isn't getting triggered. It doesn't mean that person's not feeling tempted. But the truth is that person has discovered the value in recovery. And even when they're not on a mountaintop, when they're not feeling close to God, when they're not feeling close to their wife, they recognize and know in the deepest part of themselves 
that recovery has to be their first priority, that they have to choose it even when they're not feeling it. And so as much as change is a nice thing to see, uh, repentance is an important thing to see, some of those more spiritual concepts don't necessarily apply to uh, the crux of addiction recovery. And the reason I would say that is because addiction recovery, no matter how changed you could be in an instance or for a weekend or for six months straight, uh, that can fade as triggers come in. The brain is wired to default back into its mode. And so recovery has to be kept up with. It has to be chosen over and over again. That's why we say day at a time in recovery. It's about consistency. So when it ta- when it comes to you, Jennifer, feeling like your patience is gone, I can understand that you're looking for him to have some defining moments of change. My thought for you is that there is a lot of consistency going on in your relationship. Unfortunately, it's not the kind of consistency you're looking for. And it's important for you to have some support in discerning for yourself what that means for you in this relationship. Yeah, I... I- it's interesting as you were talking, I was thinking about this and a lot of times we define repentance as very black and white. Repentance equals never relapsing, yeah. right? Right. Because when the relapse comes, the the feeling is if he were really committed to this change, he wouldn't do it again, ever. Mm-hmm. And so... If that's our only definition of repentance, then we're, we're, it's, it's hard. It's hard for guys never mm-hmm. to relapse. Um, it, I mean, I think it definitely happens. I think guys grow out of it and guys can grow past relapsing and mm-hmm. cut, catch themselves a lot earlier in the process, um, disrupt the behaviors. Um, but it, but I think that Jennifer's on to something. If there were more repentance in, in this uh, husband's life, it would probably come out in some other types of activities, like the group he's going to. Is, yeah. is that group helping? Is he being forthcoming in that group? Is he getting the support that he needs? Is he making phone calls? Uh, is there anything else he needs to do? Does he need to go to counseling or a coach? Does is there some other types of self-care things he needs in his life? Um, what are other, you know, like if he's being aware of the things that are happening, if there's an awareness that you can work with. And so, yeah. so that actually I do think can, can show the level of repentance. If he's not being open, constantly hiding, not even pressing into the support he already has in his life then that is a bigger issue. But just mm-hmm. relapsing, I don't think, defines repentance. Um, mm-hmm. Because you can relapse if you don't have good support structure in your life. And if you're not, you know, I mean, I, I used to tell a joke. My wife and I have talked about this for years. I, I'm porn free. And I have structured my life in such a way that I don't look at porn. But if you put a stack, I mean, this is going to date me. If you put a stack of penthouses under my bed, how long am I going to be clean? Mm-hmm. It's an, it's inevitable that if I knew they were there, at some point, I'd look at them. Because, I, I, I mean, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. But I I don't ever want to put myself in that position. Right. Right? So That's the structure. 
Right. So I need the structure. I need the accountability. So, um, but if you put penthouses under my bed, it doesn't mean that I'm like fixed. Like I can just be like, oh, I don't want to look at yeah. that. I hate that. You know, right. I, I was talking to someone the other day and he said, I just want to hate porn. I want to yeah. get to, that was a goal that he had in, uh, in, in working on this stuff. And I said, I don't know if that's a good goal. I mean, I, <laughs> I, um, I love Dr. Pepper and, <laughs> and Dr. Pepper doesn't work with my lifestyle and my diet. It doesn't mean I'm ever going to not like the taste of Dr. Pepper, mm-hmm. but Dr. Pepper is not a part right. of my life. Well, and many partners feel threatened by that. It's it's a hurtful concept to think, okay, let's let's translate Dr. Pepper to a woman on the screen right. and a pornographic image. And so the concept there for a woman is very relational in nature. And a woman feels that, oh, well, you still want her. You still want that. Why can't you generate a disgust for this stuff like I do? Uh, the truth is that uh, there is there is some differences there in the relational way in which a partner interprets pornography use, uh, a partner who's a female, particularly not all are females. But, you know, the idea is uh, you can't always generate a disgust for it. But the truth is, if if you move away from the behavior and structure yourself to not set it up like a forbidden fruit that's accessible in secret, then you're able to really have it leave you uh, as an interest. It doesn't mean if it weren't sitting right in front of you that it could generate some arousal, but it leaves you as an interest. Uh, Similar to someone who, let's say, used to love playing, um, you know, a card game and they've played it, you know, so much and they've decided to, to take a break from it and then maybe they learn some other new card games or maybe they don't even care about cards anymore and they're on to tennis or board games or, you know, the idea is our interest can regenerate and healthy new ones can replace old ones. Uh, But it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be some arousal should you be subjected to it or subject yourself to it, right? Yeah, I think one thing that uh, I was able to talk to my wife about over the years is she was able to start to understand that the longing for porn wasn't necessarily a violation of our relationship but that it had been such a comfort, such a source for me to go to try to trying to help myself or trying to take care of myself that she got it when pain came up in my life. I, I could say, gosh, I'm I'm really missing porn. And it wasn't like, oh, here it goes again. You know, he's at risk. But I could just mm-hmm. communicate that and she understood what that meant. Mm-hmm. And and I don't feel that way now, but I do remember the first five, seven years. I remember there would be times I go, you know, this would be a time that I would act out. I feel ah. I feel rejected. I feel pain. And now I'm just sitting with the feelings. Yeah. And she can see me. You know, she's really good at reading me. She can see when I'm sad. And I'm sure in some ways she's like, she feels compassion for me, but she's also like, well, this is how you feel when you're sad. When you're doing porn, you just numb, you never feel the feelings. And so in some ways there's empathy, but then in other ways, it's like, this is life, you know, Mm -hmm. people feel sad and they don't go to porn. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So deal with it. 
No, yeah. you know, but in a good way, you know. Yeah, she sounded supportive and loving, but realistic too, you know, and uh, and allowed you to make your own game plan there, allowed you to make your own choices, but, you know, when she could, she would be able to influence you with her perspective. And I think that's a really solid uh, example for a lot of partners. I like the way you speak about her. She sounds very honorable in her, her way of uh, coping through this this part of your marriage that you guys have gotten through. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's been a real gift. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think if, I mean, we talked about ultimatums and we talked about these confrontations. I mean, we had our share of defensiveness and me lying and this and that. But yeah. I think if she attacked it any other way, um, it would have it would have it would have trapped into the shame and rejection I already felt. Um, mm-hmm. Like if she kicked me out of the house, for example, mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have gone well. Um, right. I'm not saying that that's I, not a reason. That's not a good thing for certain partners. But for me, particularly with the way I'm the shame, the rejection, the feeling of unlovable, it would have probably killed me. Like I just yeah. I don't know if I would have been able to handle it. Right. And, you know, for each partner to read what what their relationship uh, can withstand is somewhat important. But primarily they have to interpret what they individually can withstand. And so I think a lot of partners don't pull the plug on confronting or getting help or even maybe needing to separate physically or stop having sex for a while due to how they're feeling because they worry about the impact it could have. I can't tell you how many partners I've worked with who worry uh, that if they kick their husband out or if they sleep in separate beds uh, or if they threaten divorce that they they worry he would uh, take his own life. And we're talking, you know, some pretty extreme examples here. Uh, At some point, a lot of these partners learn that they can influence in the sense that their words and actions do, uh, you know, matter with how they treat their partner. So they, they choose to not have any regrets by staying within their character and treating him as best they can. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they compromise themselves in doing so and ultimately having to make those decisions. Uh, it's really hard. Everything is so individual. That's why on a podcast like this, it can be difficult to discuss uh, unless we get really specific about the scenario. What would be helpful for a partner uh, facing the need to potentially separate or just get some physical space maybe yeah. uh, within their home? Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think where you talked about getting other support, you know, seeing a therapist, especially mm-hmm. one that maybe has some experience with sex addiction um, would be mm. helpful to, to understand some of the patterns. That's right. I would love, do you have time for one more question? Sure do. Okay. Um, I, this is a question that's come up before, but, uh, Jennifer actually had it at the end of her email and I wanted to add it in if we had time. Um, she said the last time I found, uh, pictures on my husband's phone, they were of teenage girls. Part of me mm. is freaking out that he's a pedophile or something. Is that possible? I feel like I don't know the man I married at all anymore. So, so what, what about the type of porn? What do you, what do you think about that? I'm Mm -hmm. sure that's a question that people ask. Right. Well, just speaking very generally about pedophilia, you know, there's a, there's a criminal mindset behind pedophilia. And while 
some pedophiles are also sex addicts. Not all sex addicts can ultimately turn into a pedophile. Uh, and so I just, I just want to, uh, you know, make that statement to this person um, that if somebody's interested in underaged uh, pornography, underaged sex in general, uh, there could be elements of pedophilia going on. But I also want to make this note that the Internet nowadays, the number one, I believe, search tagline uh, or the, the number one way to tag porn is with the word teen. And some of these individuals who are producing the porn or making it may, in fact, not even be teenagers. They're just tagging. I mean, they may be older than teenagers. They just tag it as teen porn it, it has become the, the most popular uh, searched term in my uh, most yeah. recent research of that. So, so not to normalize it like, oh, so it's no big deal if you found the words teenage porn searched for. The truth is, uh, you know, pornography these days is getting more and more deviant, younger and younger. Uh, there's so much accessibility online now uh, that, you know, anything with the word teen in it can be extremely, uh, extremely concerning and something to take caution about and discuss. Um, I don't, I don't have an answer for you about your, your husband's behavior, but I will say this, that, uh, you know, if, if you're concerned, uh, this is an absolute priority to discuss with him, with someone else in the room who can assist you guys, uh, you know, I take it very seriously uh, when somebody is is looking at images online that could potentially be considered or construed as uh, child sexual abuse images. However, like I said, it's such a proliferated type of uh, pornography nowadays that a lot of things that are listed as teen porn truly aren't teen porn. Uh, and and so it becomes really hard to decipher there. Um, so, you know, we get to a sticking point a little bit with that one. It's a very individualized case. I think that it's important to point out that the genre or the the fetish sometimes or, or whatever the thing is, it's a lot about arousal. It's a lot about when you're searching for porn, you're looking for a buzz, you're looking for the thing that's going to be exciting. And so the things that maybe were exciting six months ago are not as exciting. And so there's always a tenants, a curiosity for new, different, exciting type things. And, and so I, I definitely know that teen, teen, that teen genre has been around forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been around since I was a kid, since, since I was looking at magazines, that's, that's always been something that's been there. And, um, and you could have easily just as found, you could have found something else like, you know, older women or some other type of thing. It's not indicative necessarily that there's a pedophilia piece, but it mm -hmm. is, it does show that maybe there's a progressiveness. And, mm -hmm. um, and I talk to guys every once in a while who are interested in coaching and it's gotten even more progressed where that's the main way that they want to act out is with underage porn. And at that point, I don't necessarily consider them a pedophile, but 
because that's not really my, I'm not anyone to diagnose that. But I do say that they're at risk because if mm-hmm. you're searching around in that genre and getting more progressively into it, you're making yourself legally at risk. And we've seen a number of famous people this year go to prison for that very thing um, or for engaging in sex or, or, or soliciting or trading pictures. So mm-hmm. if, if famous people are doing it, definitely people, just normal guys are stumbling into areas that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, on that note, I think let's let's wrap up. Uh, Hope, it's uh, it's been great to have you, and I love that your name is Hope because um, a lot of about this show is taking hope and taking action, and so I really appreciate you bringing hope to partners and to wives and to girlfriends who want to be a part of this process or they want to help um, grow in intimacy and start eliminating this in their marriage and in, in their, their partner's lives. Uh, so I really appreciate the work you do and your heart for partners. Thanks, Matt. You know, it has been such a joy to team up with you. The work that you're doing, the guys you're working with, and the hard work they're doing is so commendable. I honor you, and I would love to be back on if more questions come through, and we can tackle those when we do. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back, and... Um, and maybe there'll be a flurry of questions after this episode. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, we would, I would definitely love to do it again. And when that book comes out, I would definitely love to have you come and talk, um, about what you, what you've, what direction you've gone in with your book and, um, what we can learn from it. Sounds great. Thanks, Matt. Well, that was a great interview and I, man, hope just brings great, information and just a real empathetic uh, nature to her, the way she answers the questions, the way she really cares about the people she serves. And if you want to connect with Hope, go to hoperaytherapy.com. She's got some videos you can watch. There's a way to actually contact her if you have a specific question. Uh, She does work with people in Michigan and in other uh, states, depending on what, uh, where you're at. Uh, So reach out to her and see if there's a way that you can connect with her, especially if there's a question that didn't get answered today. And we will definitely have her back. There's there's plenty of opportunities for us to have a a follow-up conversation, and I'm excited uh, for the future. So definitely connect with Hope. And that's about all the time we have for today's episode. I wanted to remind you again, if you want to take advantage of the summer offer for Sprint Coaching, my three-month offer, go to pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. That's pornfreeradio.com slash coaching. Fill out an application. We'll have a quick conversation this week, and we can get you started as soon as June 15th. All right? All right, guys. If you want to leave a comment or question on this episode, check out the show notes at pornfreeradio.com slash 74. Or if you want to send me an email, you can always send me an email at matt at pornfreeradio.com. Now, I'm the only one who checks that email box. Sometimes it gets pretty full. Uh, but if you do send me an email or a question, please let me know if there's anything I need to keep private in case I want to use it in an upcoming episode of Porn Free Radio. Well, I thank you for listening, and until next week, guys, take hope 
and take action. Thanks for listening to Porn Free Radio at pornfreeradio.com. To work with Matt one-on-one, go to pornfreeradio.com forward slash coaching and help us get the word out by subscribing to Porn Free Radio in iTunes and leaving a rating and review.